Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today we speak with Tara Cheever, co-founder and product manager at Lit Software, a company that equips lawyers with tools to modernize their practices and enhance their presentation skills in court. Tara has been a trial presentation consultant for more than 15 years. She's an expert in trial graphics, presentation, and legal technology, and has worked on multiple high-profile matters both in the U.S. and in Europe. At Lit Software, she's assisted in the design, development, and marketing of the Lit Suite. The apps from the Lit Suite are used extensively by a broad range of legal professionals and organizations, including Amlaw 100 firms, Corporate Counsel for Fortune 500 Companies, and the U.S. Department of Justice, as well as other government agencies. The Lit Suite is also widely taught in law schools across the U.S. In our discussion, she talks about her work as a trial consultant, how Lit Software helps with storytelling in the courtroom, her thoughts on the future of litigation technology, and why she loves working with lawyers. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Tara, thank you so much for making time. Great to be here. Thank you. So let's start by giving us the elevator pitch for what Lit Software is. I, I suspect most of our listeners are familiar with it at this point, but for the for the couple that may not be. Sure. So if you haven't heard of Lit Software, there's a good chance you might have heard of our flagship product, which is called TrialPad. So what we did was really when what we're known for is when the iPad was released, we developed the first and I think the most lasting and the best trial presentation app available for iPad. And fast forward, that's now 13 years ago or nearly there. And we have a suite of apps that are available for both iPad and Mac now. That's called the Lit Suite. So the company is Lit Software and the apps are TrialPad, which is the one I mentioned for trial presentation, TranscriptPad, which does transcript review, including now freshly released video syncing and editing all on device. And then also DockerViewPad, which is bait stamping, document production, issue coding, and that sort of thing to get ready for that presentation piece. And then we developed another app during COVID, which isn't technically part of the Lit Suite, but is a companion, and that's called Exhibits Pad, which turns any iPad device into an electronic exhibits binder. Awesome. Bait stamping. I can remember when we used to do it with actually a, a little a little handheld device. Yes. And do you remember that sometimes it would skip a number or even actually if they would get a little bit clogged, you'd do two numbers and it would just throw off everything? Oh, those were the worst, weren't they? Because <laughs> yes. it always was doing it at midnight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the origin story. Your co-founder put us in that moment in time. Where were you professionally at the time? How did the opportunity to start the company come about? And why make the leap? Sure. My um, At the time, I was working at Saurian Communications, which is a Florida-based we're still Florida-based, um, litigation support company. That includes everything from creating exhibits boards, and this is quite a while ago, um, doing a really nice PowerPoint, um, and then also sitting in a courtroom and helping lawyers present their cases, um, you know, through demonstrative evidence, through bringing stuff up using uh, complicated desktop programs. And what happened was my co-founder, who is the CEO of Lit Software and was the CEO of Saurian. Um, when the iPad came out, he sort of said, wow, this is so easy to use. We can develop something that will allow 
us to put the technology that we know really well, that sort of was black box technology, uh, you know, back in the day, and put that right into lawyers' hands. Um, and then, uh, th so 2010, the iPad came out. End of 2010 is when we released TrialPad, and we've, we've really been iterating and, and working on um, adding to the app suite and obviously features and functionality of uh, TrialPad since then. Now, what led you to, to work for a, a trial consultant? Yeah, it's, you know, a weird and winding road, as, as I think everyone's life probably is. I actually was very interested in going to law school. And through a series of, of events, I realized that I was less interested in the technical portion of the law, even though I find it fascinating, than I was in the way that the story was told. So I've always been a big believer in that when you are in a courtroom, somebody in that room is having one of the most important days or weeks of their lives. And so it's so imperative that really the story gets told the way that properly represents that person and, you know, the other side as well. So the storytelling portion was the most fascinating to me. And then the ability to help with telling that story, plus the fact that I got to see so many different kinds of litigation rather than specializing in sort of, you know, one thing, whether that's med mal or insurance defense or whatever it might be. Really, I was able to look at IP and, of course, that med mal and insurance defense and all of that sort of stuff, but marital law, family law, that, that whole array of litigation and all the stories that come with it really was the most fascinating for me. So it was exciting for my career to just say, okay, maybe law school isn't for me, but I just do love the ability to be a part of a team and help them to tell their stories. What was your first experience like working with teams of trial lawyers? I, I confess my background is I was a trial lawyer, so I, I know from experience we're a, we're a unique breed of cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, it can be intense, but, you know, personalities are just as varied as the stories that they're telling. So I've worked with big law and I've worked with criminal defense and I've worked with, I had the opportunity to work with one person that works with only one client at a time. And yeah, I think it's a really special experience to be trusted and kind of be brought in. And again, like I said, this is all serious. And when we talk about our apps, people think of apps. And I think back when we started, they think app and they kind of associated that with the Angry Birds and the games at the time. And we take our apps really seriously. Yeah, <laughs> we take them super seriously. We know that litigation is, you know, high stakes, whether or not there's a lot of money involved, it's still going to be high stakes and important to everybody. So we take our work really seriously and our software really seriously. And I think we always have because we have that background of understanding the stakes that are, that are in it for not just the attorney, but for their client. As you sit down with the trial teams, obviously the most important thing for them is to use your product. But as, as a secondary characteristic, as you were helping them in back in your days as a, as a trial consultant, what makes someone a good storyteller? What skills are you trying to help them hone to get there to enhance this critical ability? Because I agree with you, being able to tell a story is a is a fundamental part of a trial lawyer. Yeah. So now when we're talking about our apps, whether or not people are using our apps, it's really about usability and being able to tell that story without being distracted. So an example I like to give in, in the courtroom piece is that as a lawyer, if every time you need to show an exhibit, you have to turn to somebody else in that courtroom and wait for it to appear on the screen. And then you're, you're adding a third party into a conversation that they really don't have any business being in. And I'll give you an example. If you're the lawyer and you're asking a question of the witness, the conversation is between you and the witness observed by the judge and jury, right? So that's your audience. 
What you don't want to do is say, okay, let's go to exhibit five. Stephen, can you bring up exhibit five, please? Why is Stephen in the conversation? Stephen, can you bring up the, the third page or call out a Bates number or then ask for something to be highlighted? So what we tried to do is to really make it streamlined. And this gets to the second part of your question where you have a magical glass device, an iPad that you can walk around with. Instead of asking Stephen to bring it up, you say, and now I'd like to show you exhibit five. And then suddenly it's on the screen. And if we look at page two and we look at this paragraph that I'm highlighting for you, I'd like you to read that to the jury. And that is so much more conversational. And so to the second part, what the goal always is in that storytelling is for you to be competent and trustworthy and maybe likable, maybe not. Uh, but I was going to say that's asking Maybe, 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 maybe not. Right but, you know, and I think a lot of attorneys have always had this fear. And again, this is both sides and big or small. I don't want to look slick, but you also have to look competent and I think that's really what we're trying to get to is to make you be the authority in the room and be the person that people look at for the answer. Because at the end of the day, the jury's going to go and decide and you're not going to have a say anymore. You want them to remember what you said. You want them to think it was true. Absolutely. So we're in 2010. The iPad comes out. So it's a brand new device. Maybe not the first tablet, but certainly the first Apple tablet. So you design a, an app for a new device, a new app designed to do new things. What was the adoption curve like among lawyers? Because lawyers, new things are their early adopters, but then a lot of lawyers don't rush to the new thing when it comes to the practice of law. What sort of obstacles did you encounter and how did you overcome them? We had a really great experience and I have to give Apple in part credit for it because their devices just work and you don't have to know a lot about technology to be able to use them. So from a device standpoint, that part was already easy. Even things like a case that in the beginning folded different ways so they could stand up in different ways. And, you know, they really took all of that into account. And so the ability for someone to go to the Apple store, buy a device they'd never turned on before, turn it on, walk through setting it up in a couple of minutes, and then download our apps and be able to use them again within 10, 15 minutes with their own data felt really miraculous. And that miraculous part was really a lot to do with Apple itself. It, it was really difficult hardware to set up and use. I think we would have had a tougher time. And Ian, my co-founder, the founder of Lit Software, spent a lot of time really making, at least especially the first iteration, but always still, very, very, very easy to understand apps. So they're deep. There's a lot of capabilities. But when you first open it, in five minutes, you can bring in a document and show it up on a screen. And that's really the key. So usability is the main thing. And I think people have created in the past, whether trial presentation software or not, really fantastic products, but they're so difficult to use, so arcane, so specialized that your average attorney who practices law, not technology, although like you said, there are some early adopters, the people that are there to practice law and maybe aren't really big into tech still need to be able to have something that's usable and useful. So that, that was the goal. And so we had, a, we had a really great success with TrialPad initially because I think we met that usability standard and that sort of ease of use standard that maybe wasn't there for trial presentation before. You know, I know you're also a product manager in addition to being co-founder, whether it's in your initial product or subsequent iterations of new products or iterations of existing products. How do you get user feedback? How do you get user input into 
feature sets that are important or not important or the look, the feel, the usability. You must have a structure by which you do that. How do you do that? We listen to our users a lot. Again, my co-founder, Ian, I think he sees and monitors just about every single thing that comes in through our support portal. We actively reach out and talk to people. We have a set of people that have have always been very vocal since the beginning and have helped us to make sure that whatever we were doing next was useful. So I think that one of the dangers in any kind of software is like a feature creep. And next thing you know, you've got tools on top of tools on top of tools because one guy or one girl wanted this or that. And what we try to do is present when you first open our apps, only a couple of options so that you know where you're supposed to go. And then as you get more and more comfortable and you're tapping around, and again, different different use case scenario from what people might be used to in like a Windows computer. And I know you've probably had the experience, I certainly have, where I forgot to save and for some reason something happened and all my my work may have gotten lost. And if it didn't, I'm having a hard time. You know, that doesn't exist. Oh, now you've got now you've got chills going up and down my spine. Yeah. So that doesn't exist on the iPad. I mean, if, if you're going to do something to delete something, you're going to get a confirmation. Hey, you're going to delete this and you won't be able to do it. Are you sure you want to do that? And then you have to have that second confirmation so people can feel comfortable to tap around and click around in ways that maybe they weren't before. Once they reach that comfort level, really the app just opens up and you can start to see so many more capabilities that are there. But again, it's that usability. It's that layered in feature set that isn't right click, drop down for another right click for another drop down, you know, that I think I anyway grew up with. You started with Trialpad and you've built a number of products and you, you went through them all over the years. How do you decide, you must have a number of options in terms of additional products to bring out. How do you decide what's worthy of developing? How do you design the strategy of the organization as around products? That's a great question. A lot of it is kind of as a team, our theory of democratizing the law. And I, I know that sounds a little bit lofty, but there's a lot of stuff out there that does great work and it's really complex and really expensive and usually in one spot. So we try to look at pain points in legal software where it's overly complex, overly expensive and not mobile and fix that so that you'll have something that you can afford. Our entire suite right now, you can download from the app store and it's an annual fee of $399. For some people, that's lunch with a client or two. Certainly it's a couple of boards in a courtroom. And so we try to make that a low barrier to entry in terms of the cost low barrier to entry in terms of the ability to use it. And we believe that that helps to democratize the availability. You know, so somebody who previously would have been able to say, you know, not worth it to spend the money on presentation software or bring in the electronics into the courtroom because the case just isn't worth enough money to do it. Now you absolutely can do that. And you can be just as professional and competent as the people who will pay that no matter what the case is worth. So that is that is a big part of it. And one of the things that I mentioned that I think is a it's a big deal uh, that we just did is syncing. So you probably have had the experience of taking a deposition and having it video recorded. So then the videographer hands over the videos or the court reporter will give you the videos, however it will work. And then you've got video and you've got a transcript. And if you want to edit that, typically, not some law firms have it built in, bigger firms, but typically your law firm is going to go back to that court reporter or vendor, ask them to sync it. There's a cost there. Then they're going to ask them to edit it because there's certain sync software only uses certain editing software. There's a cost there. And then there's also a time cost to be able to get those edits back, decide what you want to use, what you don't want to use, and then maybe even go back and re-edit. 
So I think for an average two-hour deposition, you probably are going to spend right around $300 or more to sync it and have it edited and brought back to you. And that's not time cost. So now we're doing that for free on device. And you can just open up our app, bring in your video, ask it to sync with the transcript. It does it again, all on device. You're not sending it back and forth to anybody else. You don't always know what the court reporter or videographer is going to be doing with that video. Uh, are they uploading it to the cloud? Are they not? If it's a confidential deposition, that might be a concern. So this is all, you can be completely uh, unplugged from Wi-Fi and this will all happen on device. So really, it's leveraging really cool built-in technology and making it available to anyone who wants it. That's awesome. Let's, let's broaden the lens a little bit and talk about the growth of technology usage in the courtroom as a general proposition. Sort of how have you seen it change over the last 10 to 15 years? And what role has the pandemic played in, in that change? Yeah, pandemic was a sea change for sure. Prior to that, I think all over the country, we were already kind of seeing some people hesitating to do the massive amounts of printing that you used to see typically in large litigation. I've mentioned before that I can vividly recall tens of thousands of pages of documents in binders, in boxes, stacked up. Up against the wall of the courtroom, yeah. Exactly. Against the wall of the court. And they're not, they're never cracked. And there's, it's not in triplicate so that everybody has it if they want it. But even if all 10,000 pages were going to get shown to the jury, which they're not, because no one has the time for that, even if they were going to get shown to the jury, you don't need it in triplicate. You don't need it all over. And anyway, so there's environmental concerns. Then we started seeing people saying, okay, courts saying, where are we going to store all these boards that people are bringing into the courtroom? You'd see 50 boards sometimes in some of these bigger cases with confidential information on them. And it's just a massive amount of, of space taken up that could have been accomplished electronically. And it started to be accomplished electronically. And then, like you said, the pandemic. And I think everyone's world kind of turned upside down in one way or another during the pandemic. But really big things came out of it for technology in the courtroom anyway. One, a lot of the courtrooms that previously didn't have technology in got it. So there's a screen now in just about every courtroom because they needed to be able to have a remote proceedings. And that meant that if there's going to be a remote proceeding, the lawyer in the courtroom or on the other side of that internet connection had to present their evidence. And that meant they have to present it electronically. And then the question just becomes, how are you going to do that? You can use Acrobat, uh, you can use TrialPad. You can hold up a piece of paper to the camera, but I don't, I don't think that would be very effective. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't help the competency point you were making earlier. <clears throat> no. So as technology has become more important in the litigation space, where do you see it going? Take us out four or five years. What does it look like? Yeah, I think whenever anyone asks that question, everyone thinks right now, right? Because everybody loves to say the words generative AI. So now I've said them. Oh, generative AI. Yes, we, there is a law. No <laughs> podcast can go these days without some talk about generative AI. Wait, but, but I'm not going to talk about generative AI because what I actually think the biggest change, sea change in the next four to five years is is again, that democratization of litigation technology that, you know, maybe five years ago and 10 years ago, you could have partners and firms saying, you know, I just don't like technology. And I think that over the next five, 10 years, that will be an impossible thing to say. There was a time people were resistant to email and they said, well, we'll just still send letters. I think that time has ended. Uh, no one can resist email any longer. And the same thing I think will happen not just with trial presentation, but with that entire, you know, electronic, the way you store your evidence, the way you present your evidence, the way you share your evidence, you know, with your client, 
I think all of that really has to change because I just see a lot of complex, expensive stuff out there and it doesn't have to be that way. And I'll add one more quick thing. That is that lawyers coming out of law school now, many of them, 13 years ago, the iPad came out. Lots of schools implemented the one-to-one iPad program. So they've kind of grown up with it. And then they would have gone through four years of school and then seven for law school. So grade school, high school. So next five to 10 years, that's what you'll have. You'll have people- They're, They're natives with the technology. They're natives with the technology. And if not the iPad, then with, yes, another kind of a tablet. And if not with a tablet, then certainly with the phone, the touchscreen device. And that's what I think is, is the new thing. It's not that clamshell keyboard thing anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, you talk about the lawyers being forced to use technology and becoming more technologically savvy. I mean, we sort of saw that pattern play out with technology-assisted document review, right? I'm old enough to have sat in dusty warehouses looking at box after box of documents. <laughs> Allegedly is a learning experience. <laughs> Not sure what I learned other than how to get hay fever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, technology came into play and people resisted it and argued that it wasn't as good as human review and you weren't teaching young lawyers critical skills, get ready for trial. And now, after a number of years, it became the point where if you weren't using this technology, you weren't serving your client properly. And it sounds like you're saying the same sort of curve has been going on in the use of technology in trial itself. Yeah, and in the use of technology in the general population, even outside of the law. So I think a good comparison is, you know, that your great engineers can use a calculator and do and can do the longhand math. And I think your great lawyers will have that same sort of professional competency that they can use some of this technology-assisted review and the AI, which technology-assisted review is AI, let's be honest. It's just not generative. Um, So AI has been with us for a while and be comfortable in the cloud and be comfortable on a device, but but be just as comfortable face-to-face in front of what is it, a jury of their peers. That That is the key. So being able to do both keeping that personal competency and that storytelling capability, that relatability, and also being able to have that competency level that I think modern juries anyway definitely expect. I believe those will be the great lawyers. I think that's right. I read somewhere, somebody, a number of people made the same point that you shouldn't worry about AI or generative AI coming for your job. You should worry about the lawyer who knows how to use the technology coming for your job. And I think you're making the same point, which is the lawyer now, let alone in the future, is a lawyer that can harness technology and use it and use it to augment their their own human skills. Yeah, and I'll give a quick example actually, because I was able to, I was presenting this summer with a really a fantastic trial lawyer, and you know he just came out of a trial and he said, just for the heck of it, let me put in the facts of my case as if, and he was a defense attorney, as if I were the plaintiff's attorney, and see what kind of an opening statement this generative AI stuff can come up with. And he said, you know what? And I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want to embarrass the other side. He said, you know what? ChatGPT came up with a much better opening statement than my opponent did. And this is something that I will use in the future as a way of saying, hey, let me get a whole other perspective on the facts of the case and how a plaintiff might present that. Now, whether or not that's something you use in your opening statement, it's a great way to just run it through. It takes a couple of seconds. You read a potential AI-generated opening statement, and sure, that's going to inform the way that you are approaching your case. And just things like that, you're not going to copy and paste it into your motion. You're not going to copy and paste it and read it off to the jury, or you should not. That would be incompetent. 
but these are ways of using these tools that can make your practice so much better. No, I think that's absolutely right. It's going to be fabulous to see how technology continues to advance, putting aside all the hype around generative AI. It's an interesting moment in the world of legal technology. So what's what's next for your company? What can we expect to see from Lit Software? We have been working on an app for quite some time that I think is going to be a real killer. Lots of people have been asking for it. And it's called Timeline Pad. Should be obvious what it does. Timelines. I assume it does timelines, <laughs> yeah. yes. So, you know, for the presentation piece, which is really important, I think that's kind of the next next step to be able to present your case. But maybe more importantly, to be able to just get the facts of your case into a timeline and wrap your own mind around what happened and when in a case. Maybe not all of that is important anyway for the jury to hear at the end, but being able to have those events in context and show the document and show the evidence that relates to those events, I think that's going to be a really powerful tool for people to have. And again, because it'll be available for iPad and Mac with the iPad, we're very mobility first. So I think that work-life balance is almost the same thing as mobility, being able to be out of pocket when you want to, and yet in, in an instant have what you need in front of you, wherever you are, is really, really important, I think, to the modern lawyer, not bringing boxes of documents everywhere with you. And uh, Timeline Pad will just add to the suite and, and I think really increase everyone's, the value of the suite, but also everyone's pro- productivity that, are, that is using it. And hopefully their understanding and capability of getting the story out of their case. You know, it's, it's such an interesting, I'm sitting here thinking about the cases I used to try and the timeline, I drew a timeline in every case because it's the only way I could think about how the pieces fit together or didn't fit together. So I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, the yellow legal pads and the pencil marks and the lines and the squiggles drawing all the things. Sure. I would have killed for a tool like that. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think it's going to be really powerful. And I mean, I also see, I think one of the great things about our apps being on iPad is there's a lot of really great apps out there that aren't just legal apps, right? So there's some great conceptualization apps. You have your calendar in front of you. And of course, you have your email, your ability to jump out onto the internet and search what you want. All of that is built in. And then you have that really legal specific, I can edit my transcript video. I can look up anything that's been transcribed in the case. And that's prior trial transcripts, hearing transcripts, any deposition, that sort of thing. That's just so powerful to a modern lawyer. It's almost irresistible, I would think. I would hope. I would hope so as well. You've made the point a couple of times, and I think it's, it's, it's a good one, that this ability to move with all of your information and all your documents and your depositions on a, on a single small device really helps a lawyer's personal life as well as their, their working life because you can be on that early train home without having to worry about the litigation. I, I presume people that make litigation bags are sad. <laughs> but, other, but other, other than that, you don't need to be pulling those two litigation bags, you know, so that you can work on stuff after the kids go to bed. Yeah. Or when the client calls you, you don't have to say, hey, I'm not at my desk. Let me call you back. If that's the way you want to do your practice, that's obviously fine. But it's really great for your client to be so responsive to say, okay, let me just bring up your file just a second. And with that instant, the iPad is on, you've got the case file in front of you, and you can talk about documents because they're in front of you or transcripts because they're in front of you or that latest email. That's really the power behind it. Absolutely. One last question, then I'll, then I'll let you go. So how have you enjoyed working with lawyers? I love working with lawyers. I know that that's maybe odd 
you know, people think, oh, they aren't they just such a difficult group? Yes, sometimes. But, you know, if you are representing someone else and defending someone else, I think that that's a really noble calling. And I know the jokes and the stuff that goes around about about some attorneys and they can be very intense. But again, I found that vast majority of attorneys are actually great people and who just want to do the best that they can for their client. And I think it's a big privilege to be able to help with that. If we don't have a law and a legal system and a justice system that's working, which means lawyers, our civilization breaks down. It's, it's really one of those very elemental building blocks of our society. And I, I just think it's a, a privilege to be able to be a part of it and to be able to maybe help when I can, even though I'm not a lawyer. Yes, absolutely. Well, Tara, thank you so much for your time and, and the fascinating chat. You guys are doing some cool stuff. I'll look forward to a timeline when it comes out. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Very, very good to be here. And thank you again for inviting me on. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.